Welcome to a special episode of the That Kind of Nerd podcast. In this episode, Brian has an interview with his father. They bond over comics, and they talk about what it was like to be a nerd, and of course, they pepper in some philosophy for a wonderful conversation. As a technical note, Brian's dad's microphone died during the recording, so we had to adjust the audio accordingly. So if you're using headphones, make sure you have this at a moderate volume level. Hello, and thank you for to, uh, joining us for a very special uh, edition of the That Kind of Nerd podcast. Uh, so today we have something uh, really, like I said, special planned in mind uh, for you. Um, I have been talking uh, over the past couple episodes, uh, we talked a little bit about my root into nerdism a little bit and, and exactly why I am the nerd who I am today. And uh, most of that has to do with with my father and, and everything that he kind of implanted into me. So today we're actually going to uh, talk to my dad a little bit about what it was like to be a nerd back in the day and uh, kind of see you know what he thinks and his thoughts about being a nerd now uh, consist of. So uh, Fred is your name, not just dad. Uh, thank you for, for joining me. Thank you for having me. So I just really want to kind of start off and, like I said, just kind of talk a little bit about what it was like to be a nerd. So let's start with, with that. I mean, you got to grow up with all of this stuff. Uh, I mean, you were pr- pretty much this, about the age of uh, intent when, like, Spider-Man came out and Fantastic Four and, and kind of when that nerd culture kind of started coming out. So, you know, did you classify yourself as a nerd back then? Was there even such a thing? I uh, <laughs> There was such a thing, but I did not come into the consciousness of being a nerd for quite a few years after that until I was in school in you know my grammar school years I mean Spider-Man the Fantastic Four came out when I was four or five years old so and they believe it or not even though they're you know some of my favorite characters were not the first exposure I had to uh, comic books I, I got into them because my grandfather uh, picked me up a uh, Batman annual with a lot of uh, the old Bob Kane artwork in it back in 1963, and that was my first uh, comic book, and from then on I was kind of hooked. But like most kids back then, you know, I thought it was like the best, the greatest thing to be into superheroes and comic books. And of course I had a mother who was all about keeping things neat and clean and so forth, so she made me kind of purge my collection so that it had to grow no bigger than a, a box, actually, uh, that she gave me to keep them all in. But I used to sneak stuff and keep stuff and do what I could to hold on to what I could. <laughs> and I got back a lot of what, you know, she made me purge anyway in later years when I had my own money to spend and so forth. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't really realize I was a nerd until, you know, you get into grammar school around third, fourth, fifth grade and people start classifying you as that because maybe you're not the most athletic. When when I was in those grades, I was not into sports. I was not particularly athletic. I was kind of a slight, frail kind of child and, um, you know, didn't really have the whole uh, boy thing, macho boy thing going on. I was more of a thinker, I guess you'd say. And so, um, you know, sort of got that intellectual nerd label. You know, you'd get picked first for science study projects and um, history or social studies projects, but you would be picked last for any kind of sports event and things like that. I know nothing of that feeling. Yeah, right. (laughs) 
So, you know, that's kind of where my first exposure to nerdism or myself being considered a nerd came from. And it was not a particularly fun or flattering thing back then. You know, you had a reputation of being a nerd. It was like you were not in with anybody except for other nerds, you know. And You were ostracized almost. Yes. No, not almost. You definitely <laughs> were from, I would say, maybe 80% of your classmates and neighborhood kids and so forth. You know, if you weren't into... Um, throwing a baseball around or going long for a football and that kind of thing, you just, you didn't uh, fit in. And that didn't happen for me. It's funny because my life has gone through stages. I spent, you know, a lot of my, most of my school years that way. But when I got into junior high, I, I had a growth spurt and got into basketball. So I did kind of start to fit in with the jocks a little bit, but I didn't leave my nerdism behind as I started to play some sports and do some things that helped me to fit in with some of the other crowd anyway. Got into music and everything. Well, yeah, that came, <laughs> that came even a little later still. My junior and senior years in, in uh, high school, I was 15, 16 years old. I started to fall in then at that time to fit in with a crowd of older uh, guys and gals who were, you know, musicians and so forth. And as a result, you go down a whole different road. So I kind of went from being a nerd to being a jock nerd to being a head jock nerd, you know? <laughs> so it was a kind of a weird uh, evolution there, but I never really stopped to that degree being a nerd. I always loved, um, you know, comic books and comic book characters and uh, the, the whole adventure kind of genre. So I kind of always had that in my background, even though I have faded in and out of my interest and collectible uh, phases of my life uh, through the years, I still, to this day, have a love of those things. Yeah, I, oh, that's actually a really cool point that you bring up, because, I mean, when I would work at the comic book store, a lot of people would be like, well, I just don't understand why are these so expensive? Um, and I always used to tell that story that you told me that grandma used to make you keep it to a box. And then once you started to get outside that box, you had to throw some stuff away, uh, which kind of just lent to the, the rarity of them. Um, it seems like a lot of people during that time period, that was the, the thing. No one really knew that this was going to be as big as it is, especially well, now. Yeah, you really had no reason to believe. At least adults didn't back then. Kids always wanted to collect collect them and keep them and read them and reread them and just, you know, look at them because... Not that there was any great literary quality in them. I mean, they were made to appeal to kids, honestly, back then. And uh, I was more into it for the artwork because I loved to draw. So, I mean, I loved looking at Jack Kirby's stuff and Jim Steranko's stuff and John Romita's stuff and, you know, things like that. Neil Adams, you know, I loved looking at the art and who was doing something new. Um, that's what I kept it for. So when, when I started having to winnow through my collection and, you know, to stay within the confines of a box, I kept mostly the stuff that, that I liked the artwork best in. But honestly, back then, you know, comic books were 10 and 12 cents and an annual was a quarter. Um, so, you know, you could really, if you had a couple of bucks in your pocket, you could go to town, but you, um, you, you didn't have any reason to believe that they were ever going to be worth anything because there were so many of them. I mean, if, if you read up on it uh, through the Golden and the uh, Silver Age mainly, um, everyone from newsstands to stationery stores to rotary racks and grocery stores, I mean, comic books were, were carried in so many different places. 
and they were so accessible and so cheap as a form of entertainment for children that, you know, the, the circulation was tremendous. It was in, you know, in the millions. And most of them ended up being burned or thrown away in the garbage and so forth, which kind of like shrunk what is available out there substantially. Now, fortunately, in our modern age with the Internet, a lot of the stuff that was kind of hard to find is more accessible because people all over the country can post things that they have for sale or stores that might have them hanging on their walls and looking to, you know, liberate that real estate can put them up on the Internet and sell them uh, nationwide. But it still is very, you know, rare to find stuff from the 50s and 60s simply because of that. They were so easily disposed of. They were printed on newsprint paper and glossy covers and most people looked at them kind of like you would look at your funny pages in the newspapers when you're done with them you throw them away all right and um and something i kind of want to touch on um because i know you were really young when when kind of all these characters were kind of being introduced and everything but uh as long as we're talking about being a nerd in the in growing up in the 60s and 70s um, Star Wars came out in, in 77. Were you able to see that in the theater? Yes, I was. So what was yeah, that like? The weekend it opened. It was awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was I was dating your mother then. Oh, yeah? Yes. And uh, was one of the uh, first movies we went to see as a couple. Uh, in fact, I think that um, I'm trying to remember whether it was that first or Rocky, but we saw the first Rocky and Star Wars in the same theater. And uh, to try to impress your mother and, you know, convince her to stay around uh, a lunatic like me, <laughs> I, I had to drag along her, her then nine-year-old brother with us to these movies. So to this day, he'll tell you the story of how he got to see the first Star Wars movie, New Hope, in the theater with me and his sister. It was awesome. It was, it was something never done before. I mean, when I went to see the movie... You didn't have the multimedia blitz that you have now. You know, you had some TV commercials and so forth with some trailers on it, but not the way you, you see stuff now, the build-up to it. And I was almost anticipating something along the lines of Star Trek or Lost in Space, and it was something so completely different, this whole movie serial uh, concept that hadn't been done since the 40s with Flash Gordon and uh, characters like that. Um, just was a novel and new way of looking at science fiction at that time, and uh, I loved it. I, I was a, I was hooked and a fan from day one. I saw the subsequent two movies in the theaters also. In fact, uh, um, your mother and I went with other friends of ours in a snowstorm to see Return of the Jedi the weekend it opened, and uh, we risked life and limb to see the final of the the original trilogy, and it was a lot of fun. It was uh, that, That's what I really love about those original three movies. They all were fun. They had a light side. There was a lot of hope built into the storylines, even though there was dark characters and, you know, dangerous times. It was just one of those movies that you always walked away from feeling good about what happened and, you know, in some ways feeling good about the future of mankind if it could be like that, you know. <laughs> Not like a lot of the sci-fi you watch today. Well, yeah, even at the end of Empire Strikes Back, when everything kind of sucks at that point, it, it still has this very hopeful um, kind of tone to the end of the movie. Yeah, I mean, the, the, end of, the end of the movie, and I don't think at this stage of the game we're, we're spoiling anything for anybody, but, you know, 
Luke's getting his arm back and, you know, all is right with the world and he's uh, um, moving on, uh, thinking he's going to pursue a relationship with what turns out to be his sister. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, But yeah, they're, all three of them are very hopeful kind of futuristic movies, which is what I like about them and what I dislike vehemently about the second three. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the second three are all about Anakin's descent into the dark side. You can't have that kind of hopeful uh, kind of feeling to, to that kind of concept, which is why well, I think Lucas did the, the Luke Skywalker story first. Yeah, I don't know. I think you can, you know, incorporate some hope and some levity and some, you know, lightness into a movie that's intended to be dark and still not have it. You know, you walked away from those three movies just feeling, ugh. This is this is horrible, you know. Well, not just because the movie's kind well, of yeah, horrible itself. Of the made them. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I hate what he did with those movies. I told you guys this when when they, they came out. They came coming out before they even came out with the first one. I said my biggest hope is that Lucas doesn't grab the CGI concept and go nuts with it. So so much so that it makes the original three because they were done in the seventies and early eighties that it makes those look dated. And, of course, that's exactly, that's exactly what, what he did. did. Yeah. yeah. Mm. All right. Well, so kind of growing up around this, and, and your story is a, is a story that I kind of hear a lot, um, is that, you know, people kind of fall out of it. They they wane back and forth. You never kind of lost it completely. I know a lot of people who, as they grew older and they, they started dating girls and getting into music and stuff, they just completely abandoned it entirely. Well, yeah, that's not cool with girls, you know. Right, well, yeah, it is now, though. Not their their favorite thing back in those days. It gives me hope for the future. It's cool now. Yes, that's true. <laughs> that is true. So, there are girl geeks now. There are girl geeks, which yeah. is exciting there for were, people like me. There weren't too many of them when I was a kid. <laughs> so... Um, you, you land the girl, so now you can go back into your into your nerdy self and, and kind of impart this on, on your kids, huh? Well, you, you know, your mother knew uh, when we met that this had been a, a love and a passion of mine from the early years. She knew about my comic book collection. Of course, it was a fraction of the size that it ultimately ended up being. Um, but <clears throat> she knew that this was something I always enjoyed and loved and you know, comic books and science fiction, ad- adventure movies, you know. Indiana Jones and all of that and fortunately she was kind of into it too not so much the comic books but now she's into the comic books because she spent the last 30 years with me and my two (laughs) boys who were totally all about them and she actually loves and enjoys watching the movies and the the TV series and things like that uh, as well but no initially she wasn't like too terribly into that Uh, but she understood it and about me and that that was part of my past and she sort of uh, embraced it, if you will, and that kind of nurtured it a little bit because she kind of was so all right with it that, you know, it was like, you know, if you want to get that, if you want to spend $10 on that 12-cent comic book, because you could still get some of them back in the uh, 70s like that, she was okay with it, mm-hmm. you know. But the, the main reason I fell kind of in and out um, with it wasn't so much, I mean, there was the aspect of the girls and getting married and so forth, um, and then starting a family and all of that jazz because your, your funds sort of get reallocated. But it was really, I mean, in the 80s, there was so much just horribly poor quality stuff on the market. I mean, it was so flooded with, with uh, different versions of books with the same characters. And um, I think at one point Spider-Man had like six or seven different titles and... 
and they had spread it so thin that they didn't have the quality artists and writers to back it all up you know so the stories were really bad and I mean I just at, at that point comics were you know a buck and a quarter and a buck and a half and you know two and a half for an annual and so forth and that's a lot of money when now you've got rent or a mortgage and you know a lot of bills to pay that's a lot of money to shell out and so I kind of like at one point cooled it and at another point just stopped collecting altogether uh, as my point of protest against uh, the, the quality Marvel was churning out at that time so it was more a it was less an economic thing for me and more of a quality thing for me and then it wasn't until um, you boys started getting interested in them and I started turning you on to that that I, I didn't start collecting again I kind of left that for you guys um, because I'd rather spend money nurturing <laughs> your your uh, collectible habits than mine um, but you know a little later on and when you boys were teenagers in the late 90s early 2000s some of the quality started coming back there was really some good art and, and good writing and you know I started picking up some books again for a while and, you know so it's always been about the quality of me you know whether or not uh, I, I won't collect just for the sake of collecting if, if it's garbage you know mm -hmm. so I, I've got you know limited funds and uh, I think everybody does and it's just not worth spending the money on something if the quality is not there yeah um, so I, I told the story on the first episode and, and got a collective awe from everybody I knew when I, I talked about my first comic book and kind of the, the moment that I said, you know, to myself that, you know, this is how I'm identifying myself, that I'm a nerd. And, um, so, but, you know, prior to that, I remember, you know, we had like Spider-Man pajamas when I was like four and five, but before that, so... I guess the question is, when, when did you know that, that me and Michael were going to be so into this? Uh, that's a hard question. I, how did I know when you were going to be into it? Was there like a defining it, moment that you were like, okay, this is going to be ingrained in his personality for the next 20 years? Well, that was kind of instant, you know. It was a matter of, it wasn't so much a matter of when you'd get into it, but when it would take because... You know, the nerd geek side of me was going to make sure that you guys were at least exposed to it enough to give you a fighting chance to want to do that. And, um, gee, I, I think Michael, your, your older brother, I started taking to the comic book shop with me when he was maybe four. And, you know, I'd buy him a book here and I'd buy him a book there. You know, I would take him into that... Um, that little store in Suffern and let him just sort of, which is where you were born, by the way. And I let him just kind of walk around and pick out what he wanted. And at that time, you know, the cartoons weren't on or anything yet, but he gravitated for some reason toward X-Men. And this is before he was in school or anybody was telling him anything about it. I think he just kind of liked the artwork and the characters. So I started buying him X-Men comic books. And then a, a few years later, when he was seven or maybe eight, and you were maybe four or five, we were in uh, one of the grocery stores. I, I can't remember. I think it was Redner's where I was. Yeah. Yeah, that's the way I remember it. I think I was seven, though. I think Mike okay, was a little bit be. older. It could be. Yeah, you know what? You're probably right because... 
we had been out in Pennsylvania for a few years at that point. Mm-hmm. You were a little bit older. You, you, you were getting into it before then. But I just wanted to do everything want, Mike wanted yeah, to you do. you were doing everything Michael would do. So if Michael was into Ninja Turtles, you were into Ninja Turtles. And that's kind of like the, the defining moment. When you guys both got so heavily into Ninja Turtles, I knew you were going to get into every everything comic book related, everything science fiction related, everything adventure related, because that's kind of like the culmination of all of those. In one right? series. One series, yeah. So I kind of knew it then, but... You know, as we were going, th- that's right, because I was working at the bank mm-hmm. that had a branch in that, uh, had a supermarket branch in that store, and we, we would shop there because we lived nearby there, and um, I remember that we were going uh, through the aisles, and we got to the very last aisle uh, where your mother was picking up all of her dairy, and Michael saw a rack of comic books, and he was like all about getting this X Men comic book. I think it was one of the foil covered ones too, or something. I don't. It was remember. Age of Apocalypse? Yeah, he was very much. Oh, <laughs> Dad, can I get this? Can I get this? And I'm like, Yeah. And you like jumped right on the the Michael bandwagon. Oh, Dad, can I get one too? Can I get one too? And I was like, Well, you know, yeah, Bri, but you know, why don't you get something different? You know, you, you don't have to get everything your brother gets. You know, maybe you want to start collecting your own stuff instead of having you know, two of every comic in the house, you know, where you can read your brother's and he can read yours. And I, I said to you at that point, I picked up Spider-Man and I said, now this is the character when I was growing up that I was really, really into. I think you'll you'll like him. And you looked at that cover and you said, yeah, yeah, can I get that? And that's when, you know, I knew that you were on your own path. And that's the beginning of the monster that you've created. Yes. So congratulations. Yes, yes. But that was, you know, fun times for me because... You know, I, I I was very happy to see you guys, you know, continuing the quote-unquote legacy of nerdism. You know, I like to think of myself as an anti-nerd, but you know, it's, <laughs> it's still good to see you guys carrying on the, the banner. Well, I mean, now with all these movies and everything, it's getting so popular. It's got to be bringing back some of those nerd feelings that you had back in the day when you were a kid. I mean, come on, you never thought in a million years that you would see an Avengers movie. And now you have two. No, and I never thought I'd see any of these characters in the kind of quality of movie that would do it justice. Because, you know, 20 years ago, nobody would have thought of or thought about, you know, CGI being what it, well, it's, I guess more like 25 years ago now. But no one would have thought of that technology being available to be able to show you these characters in real life form in anything other than an animation, you know. The best you could hope for was, you know, Lou Ferrigno as the Hulk in the TV series, which was really... Which were really hokey. It was Between him hokey. and the Adam West it Batman. Was, it was... Well, Adam West Batman is... is you got to put that in a whole different category. <laughs> that, that is in a category by itself. It was at a time when camp was in and that type of humor was funny. And from what I read about it and understood about it, the only way they could sell the series to the network and get them to carry it was if they they promised that they would do it in a campy style. Now, remember that when that came out in uh, 66 or 65, you know, I was still a pretty young kid. So what was campy and hokey to adults and sort of humorous to them was serious 
comic book coming to life on the screen for us kids. You mm -hmm. know, I remember every Tuesday and Wednesday night sitting there watching Batman with bated breath and just loving Yeah, it was two Batman. episodes a week, right? Two episodes a week, back-to-back -back night. And that was something else that was never done before. It would end every Tuesday night with a cliffhanger, and that's where the whole, you know, come back tomorrow, same bad time, same bad channel came, came about. So that was kind of campy and... Now we look back at it nostalgically and we kind of laugh about it or, or what have you. But that was serious stuff to us back in the 60s. I mean, we were like so stoked about that. You couldn't wait for it to be on again. And, uh, you know, when they came out with a movie, even though by the time the movie was released, the series had been canceled. It was the first time anything like that had, been happen had, had ever happened. So, I mean, it was really the first attempt in color to try to do a character like that on TV, you know, I mean, you had it in the movie serials, and you've seen the the DVDs of that, and mm -hmm. it's really pretty poor quality. And yeah, even even like the George Reeves Superman stuff was was pretty poor quality. Right. I mean, his his Superman was like, you know, come on, really? Yeah. <laughs> All you do is take your hat, you, and your glasses off, and your Superman. Well, and you just fight some random and said, bank robbers or right, something. Right. And that's the thing is, Superman never fought his comic book foes on the TV series. It was always organized crime or like you said, bank robbers or embezzlers or something like that. You know, Batman comes along and they're actually pulling villains from the comic book. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing is that if you read the comic books of the same period, they're kind of campy themselves. You know, they kind of followed that the suit, you know, and we're not making any attempt to be ultra serious. But then the 70s come along and, you know, here comes Marvel trying to make their entry into TV, you know, superheroism, and they get, you know, the Hulk going, and I think that a big part of why that was the only series they launched uh, that, that had any legs was because Bill Bixby took the lead, and he was a very serious big-time actor at that time, and frankly, he did a real good job in the part, I thought, and uh, Lou Ferrigno, for all you can say about the series, I thought that he, you know, for the time and what they had to work with, he was a good choice for the Hulk, you know, and I think that, you know, they could have, like, toned down the length of that bushy wig they put on him <laughs> a little bit, you know, that kind of made him look like a troll, but... Um, yeah, I thought that that was a decent attempt. But the Spider-Man TV show, it was kind of the same thing. He never fought a Spider-Man villain. Uh, that didn't last long. No, it was only on for, I think, two seasons and maybe a couple of episodes after that, and it was canceled because it was just really poorly okay. done. You know, when you've got Bill Bixby attached to his show, you can do that and not have the Hulk fight any, you know, super villains and get away with it because, you know, he was there. And, and plus, the Hulk always had a moral tale to it. You know, there was a moral side and a moral story to every episode, if you watch it. Um, it wasn't until it was almost off the air that they tried to do things like mix in other characters. They had that episode with Daredevil and Thor. Yeah, oh, it was horrible. Yeah. Was, oh, just terrible. And Thor was like this Viking type guy. Viking <laughs> Thor. Yeah, the Norse god. Yep. So it wasn't, you know, really something that we took seriously. I mean, semi-seriously, the Hulk. But the Spider-Man, the costume was kind of neat. But the whole concept was just bad, and, you know, most of the episodes were poorly written. And so when that went off the air, I don't think it really broke anybody's heart. Um, you know, so, yeah, I mean, th then you come into the, what was it, the 90s with the original Flash TV show? Yeah, that only lasted a few episodes, a handful of episodes, too. Two, you know, I think two seasons also, or one season, I don't know. Maybe two seasons, but 
again, it was just poor writing, you know, not good stories. And the special effects weren't there ever with any of these shows. So, you know, it, you didn't have a lot of believability to the character. You know, like in the 60s Batman show, they basically built a building side set on the floor and had them pretend to be walking up, you know, mm -hmm. by pulling themselves up on a string with strings so clearly attached to their capes, pulling it backwards <laughs> so that they could flip the film and make it look like they were walking up a building. You know, it was it was quite humorous. But, you know, so, yeah, I'm thrilled now. It does bring back a lot of the excitement. When I see these movies um, and I have such high hopes in them, I get I get excited and or disappointed where maybe they don't measure up or maybe uh, the person who is directing it uh, veers too greatly from the from the source material. You know, then oh, they never done that. Oh yes, Angley Hulk doesn't exist in my universe. Okay. <laughs> well, unfortunately, it does in the real world, but uh, I don't think the Angley. Hulk is the only one that kind of deviated from the source material. There's been a few. Yeah, there's been a couple. But anyway, so yeah, I get real excited about it. And, and I love the, the Avengers movies. I love what Marvel has done with the build-up to all of them, with the individual character movies, you know, the Captain America, the Thor, and the Iron Man movies, and then sliding those straight into um, the two... Uh, Avengers movies and tying them all together with an underlying storyline like that. I think it's fantastic. And I think that, you know, those of us who grew up with these characters, you know, and, and you know, dreamed about this day from the 60s. I mean, I know you and your brother are real excited about all of this ever since the first X-Men movie. Yeah, but we'd only been waiting for 15 years for that yeah, moment. Yeah, exactly. I'd been waiting for like 35 years for that moment. <laughs> So it, it's very exciting. And I think, you know what, to be honest, I, you know, you talk about on your show and on your podcast, you talk a lot about how being a nerd has become more mainstream and acceptable and so on and so forth. And, you know, you're, I, I still struggle with and don't know that I agree with your, yours and CJ's and Josh, Josh's definition of what a nerd is. Well, I think but, it's changed. Well, that may be, but it's still... It still carries a little bit of the same connotation in people's minds, um, who who may be not as as familiar with it. But I do think that these movies and the movies being so huge and being so mainstream has made nerdism a lot more acceptable. Mm -hmm. and more people get into it, and you know, whereas people before. <laughs> When I was growing up or a teenager or even, you know, a young married adult, if I told somebody I was into comic books, they kind of scoffed and laughed. Even when I was a kid. Yeah. They, Same thing. Well, it, that didn't change a whole lot. Now, it's like, it's not hip if you're not into them, mm -hmm. you know, because you, know, you can't be into the movies and not wonder where did all this stuff come from, you know? And, uh, you know, you get people who are all of a sudden like, wow, you know, this is, this is kind of cool. Let me mm -hmm. check this out. But that wasn't really the case. And, and I think that, you know, it, it has made it a lot more acceptable. But I think that other things have helped make it acceptable, too, like The Big Bang Theory. Mm -hmm. And it's a show that initially I was a little skepti skeptical about. And you totally got me into it. But um, you have to admit, the, the depictions of those four guys in that show are the traditional nerds mm -hmm. that, are, that, that have... A negative connotation. They're not ladies' men. They're not jocks. They're not cool guys. 
they're the you know the brainiacs and the nerds and the you know the guys that nobody wants the Brian Thorntons of the world well <laughs> and the Fred Thorntons of the world at one time too you know until you you get past all of that acceptance and peer group crap and you basically don't give a hang anymore you know so it, I think that it has become more acceptable, but I think the, well, the, the show itself proves that the perception of what a nerd is is still pretty much the same as it was when I was a kid. Yeah, but it's, it's not a negative connotation anymore. Well, I think in some circles it does. Well, It may be less of one, but it definitely still does to some people. I mean, to some people, I mean, I remember being a kid getting made fun of consistently for liking this stuff. And uh, reading comic books and even drawing Spider-Man, because I was you know, into drawing something else you imparted on me, mm-hmm. um, was a big no-no. And if you weren't trying to you know, get on the dodgeball team or the football team, you weren't cool. But that's not the case anymore. Espe- I mean, and, and I think it, it's all due to you know, well, 1999 when these movies started coming out. That because you're not in school anymore and you don't have any children who are in school. So you can't make I, that I statement have sources. based on a, a perception. You have to you know, have some first-hand knowledge. And I think that the whole reason that Big Bang works, the Big Bang sh- uh, Theory show works, is because of the, they, they have cast these characters in the traditional nerd roles. And if everybody hadn't, who, who really gets into that show hadn't at one time been classified that mm-hmm. way, you know, they, they wouldn't be into it. Like, I know people... I'm Leonard. Who, yeah, you're I'm totally Leonard. You're definitely Leonard. Yeah. But I know people who, like... I mean, I think that show is hysterical mm-hmm. because I look at you and I, I, I watch that show. I see <laughs> Leonard and I said, that's Brian. I've had some of those conversations. The funniest thing is... Now that I, I don't live with you guys anymore, I'll get calls from mom. I just watched this episode of Big Bang Theory, and I remember when you were a kid, you and your brother had the same discussion or did the same exact thing yep. about this show or this or this movie. Um, so, yeah. No, I, same arguments. It, same arguments. Things they debate about, which are really, you know, <laughs> ethereal concepts that uh, come out of science fiction or comic books. They have those debates, and we remember you and your brother having the same kinds of debates. I had a debate in college once about the physics of the Death Star blowing up. And I, when that show came out, I was like, I, I've had this conversation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that they, they still have a negative... Con- the reason I say I think they still have a negative connotation to some people is because I know people who will watch that show and say, I don't get it. So I'm not into it. I don't mm-hmm. watch it at all. And usually when you start to delve into their background a little bit, in high school, college, they were the jock or they were the rocker or whatever they were, or they were the cheerleader, or they were the, you know, popular girl or however you want to put it. They don't get it because they were never one. Mm-hmm. And so, and they are the people who bully and pick on and make fun of those kids as they're growing up. I, I got, like you, I got picked on and bullied mercilessly coming up through grammar school and you know fortunately i had a couple of friends who were you know uh big guys and they were sort of the jocks and so forth and they didn't tolerate that you know they kind of stuck up for me which was nice to have but i took my share of beatings for being a nerd you know and so i know that 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 has carried forward for many many years and and it still carries forward today i mean when you look at you know, a lot of what goes on and what's in the news and, um, you know, college campuses and stuff, it still does go on to some degree. The the less popular, the more intellectual, the more nerdy are picked on and made fun of and classified that way 
And it's not always just because they're passionate or into something. So I totally disagree with Josh on that because like, I'm passionate about my music. I love, as, as you pointed out, in my latter years in high school, I became a musician, and I have been all about that ever since. I don't think that makes me a music nerd. Okay. I would classify you as a Beatles nerd. You know I, everything I there is anybody, to know about the Beatles. That's true, but I don't think anybody besides and, you and if, look at it that But way. if somebody who doesn't know anything about the Beatles was like, oh, well, what about this? You immediately go into this diatribe like I do with Spider-Man. Oh, you don't know, yes, and you just but, start talking but, about it. But let me, and and I agree. With so that I think I think of, there's an aspect of that in being a nerd. But no one would look at me going into my educating them about the Beatles and say to me, "Oh, so you're that kind of nerd." Well, you know, that's you're the a line from CJ that that resonated with me about certain topics. If I started talking to them about comic books, or I started talking to them about Star Wars, or Star Trek, or Indiana Jones, or then they might do that, mm -hmm. you know. But I, yeah, I'm into music. I'm into the Beatles. I'm into a lot of things. I'm, you know, I, I don't know if I can say this on your show, but being a pastor, I'm into the Bible and all things spiritual. And I don't think anybody would classify me as a Bible nerd, you know, or as a Beatles nerd or a music nerd or anything else. Like I said, if I if I started talking with somebody about those topics, I'm also into history. I'm into politics. I'm into all of those things. And I don't think anyone would look at me and say, oh, man, this guy's a nerd. I don't they might look at me and say, wow, that guy really, you know, he's pretty knowledgeable. But they wouldn't say he's a nerd. Whereas if you get into, like I said, you know, role-playing games, mm -hmm. comic books, uh, you know, uh, video games, sci-fi, they're going to look at you and say, oh, yeah, I knew somebody like you in high school. You're one of those kind of nerds. I... I, I can agree with you to an extent. I think that um, there That's are... That's I'm saying. I'm just right. trying to say it's not just a matter of passion. You can be passionate about something, but there are other criteria, I think, that personality-wise you have to fit to be considered. In. Right. Well, and there are, there are things... And here's my feeling on it. There are certain categories that immediately fall into that nerd bucket. Comic books, video games. Uh, Absolutely. Computers, techie stuff. You, you hear that and you immediately think nerd, but... To my my personal view, if you're into history, you're into the Beatles. If I call you a history buff or a Beatle maniac, is, aren't I just calling you a history nerd or a Beatles nerd? It's just a different word. Um, no, because I think that there's there's other personality traits that go along with that nerd category that I've kind of outgrown, and I don't think that I have as much as maybe I did when I was in grammar school and got labeled that way and picked on. Uh, for being so. Okay. Like I said, I, I look at myself as the anti-nerd. I think I was a nerd at one point, big time heavy, because that was the peer group I could fit into. And back then, it wasn't acceptable at all, you know, and I wanted a peer group. I wanted friends. So I became the intellectual. And when it came to school projects and everything like that, I was always, you know, at the top of the list. But you know, later on, I did get into some sports, and I did play some sports through, you know, my first, second year of high school, and then I got into music and sort of got away from the sports and became the, you know, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll guy. So, I mean, there was this metamorphosis that happened <laughs> all through my life that, you know, once I came out the other side of going through these phases of acceptance in different peer groups and finally started being comfortable and okay with who I was as a person... You know, the nerd part of me was part of me, and it just sort of got melded in to all of these other things that I am. And so um, 
I don't think that, you know, being an expert on the Beatles necessarily makes me a Beatle nerd. It does make me a Beatle fan, a Beatle buff, but I wouldn't say a nerd. No, I don't, I don't think that, that that's a category that you can apply to music or to, you know, sports even. I mean, if I was a big football nut and I knew everything there was to know about the San Francisco 49ers, I don't think you would label me as a football nerd. That team? You picked that? I even, well, I don't I, want, I, mean, I don't follow sports and I even team. know I you mean, shouldn't pick that team. I pick a team, I'd say the New York <laughs> Giants because that was my team when I was. Oh, there, oh man, Josh is going to be pissed when he hears this. I'm sorry, Josh. <laughs> um, okay, I, I can, I can definitely see your point there. So, uh, that's why I'm just saying, it, you know, you guys sort of in your very first podcast put it out there that, you know, anybody and everybody can be a nerd and Anybody and everybody uh, is a nerd about something. There's something they're passionate about. There's something they're expert at. And I get that. But I, th- I definitely think, and maybe this is sort of the nerd snob in me. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm the hipster nerd. I'm the old nerd. You know, I was a nerd I'm before old, it was cool. Uh, that's right. You know, <laughs> I think we kind of got to make it a little more exclusive that not everybody can be a nerd. Okay. You, know, you got to kind of pay your special club and come up through. Right. You can't. Be you got to get shoved in a couple school. lockers before. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't be the hip kid in school that everybody loves, and you're involved in all kinds of sports, and you date all the best looking women, and then you come out the other side and say, "Yeah, I'm a nerd." No, yeah. I'm sorry. You're not. <laughs> all right, all right. That's that's funny. Um, so I, I, I mean, we're, we're actually coming up on, on time here, but I do want to touch on a couple of different things because I know growing up, Spider-Man was, was your big comic book guy. Um, has that changed? Who's your favorite character? Let's do comic books and then movies. Oh, um, and why? Marginally, Spider-Man is still my favorite character because I Wise so, choice. I so identified with him growing up and was just, I think, the, the neatest and coolest character. And the fact that he was a kid, he was a teenager, you know, with all the common problems that kids and teenagers have, really kind of, I, I kind of gravitated, always did gravitate toward him. I love the Steve Ditko uh, Spider-Man stuff. Not that I don't love the John Romita stuff, I really do, but I think that Ditko did some really inventive stuff and kind of made him more the teenage quirky character that he's supposed to be. Um, and they keep on bringing him back to that. That's yeah, how popular they keep that bringing is. Him, well, and I think that's where the second set of Spider-Man movies did it a little bit better than the uh, first set because... I, I, I think I've said this to you before, too. The, the first set of Spider-Man movies with... Um, Tobey Maguire. To, yeah. He, he is more the John Romita Spider-Man. Yeah. And the second two movies with... What's this? Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield. He is very much more the Ditko Spider-Man. He's yeah. He's kind of lanky and awkward and... You know, Uncomfortable in his own skin. Yeah. Doesn't know how to so, talk to Gwen. So while I, I don't like some of the license they took with storylines in those two movies and, you know, background and so forth. I think the first four, three movies did that much better. I do like the character himself better in the second movie. Yeah. So, so that's my first favorite, always will be, uh, because it holds such a special place in my heart. But as I've gotten older and grown <laughs> more, um, I, I was, am, and is a big Captain America fan. Always loved Cap. Always liked the integrity of the man, the, the the character he has, the fact that doing something 
unethical just doesn't enter in. With doesn't him. compute. It doesn't. He, you like how they're handling him in the movies then? I do. I do. I love the fact, and I'm not giving away anything. That, that's okay. If they haven't seen any of these movies by now, they shouldn't be listening. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but, you know, they, they've also shown it in the trailer, and it's been online for a while. But I love, in the movie, you know, Thor was always another favorite of mine. I think he'd fallen probably about third. Um, and the fact that no one who wasn't worthy can hold the hammer, you know, and that whole scene where... Where they're trying to grab so the hammer. funny, where they're all trying to lift the hammer, you know, and... Um, Cap doesn't lift it, Nudges but he does it get it to just buzz, a bit. <laughs> just a bit, and you see Thor going, "Whoa!" You know, and that's because you know if anyone would be considered worthy of the non-godlike characters, it would be Cap. You mm-hmm. know, the man has impeccable integrity. You can't, you cannot say anything negative about his character. So, the thing I've always loved about that character is that he's the he's the one guy that when he starts speaking, everybody shuts up. Like, he can be in the middle of all these heroes, gods, and Iron Man, people that are smarter than him, people that are more powerful than him, but he opens his mouth and everybody's got this reverent respect for him, which is always a great... And that's a great thing that they're doing in the movies, yeah. too. And, and that's the, the point of Cap, is that he's a leader, and, you, you know, you lead by example. He will never do something unless it's the right thing to do. And that's what I love about his character, and that's the kind of man I've tried to be and the way I've tried to raise you boys to be men of integrity and men of character so that your word is your bond and you won't do things that are run counter to, you know, your moral and ethical beliefs. And uh, I think Cap is just the epitome of all that, and that's why I love his character. He's like my very close second to Spider-Man, always will be. Plus, you know, I I grew up with the... Jack Kirby, Captain America, and I just loved Kirby's art all mm-hmm. growing up, and, and loved what he used to do with that character, so enjoyed that a lot. Um, on the DC side, Batman all the way. Always has. Everybody, always will. everybody has says Batman. Now, I mean, I love this, you know, Superman kind of has that same integrity and all of that, and from a spiritual standpoint, he is a Christ figure, but <laughs> I've got to say, you know, he's not as Attainable. He's not as tangible. You can't as relate Cap. to Superman you like you can to Cap as well as you can to Cap. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and I think that's because Cap is based more in, in the real world. I mean, his story originates during World War Two. You know, yeah. something that is is so prevalent in our zeitgeist and so right there in everybody's mindset that it, everyone can identify with him. This is Superman. Really, you know, no one can identify with him as a human being. So yeah. Batman, on the other hand, is very identifiable. Everybody wants to be Batman. You know, just an average guy who, with enough time and enough money and enough resources, can, can do anything. Indif- yeah, undef- yeah. Bleh. Absolutely indefeatable. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, I, I think on that, we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up. So I want to thank everybody who is listening to this uh, for listening. And, uh, Dad, thanks for uh, sitting down with me and talking comic books a little bit and what it's like being being a nerd. nerd. Thank you very much, Dad. Well, thank you for having me, and I hope we can do it again. All right. Well, maybe one day we will. This has been a very special, special presentation. Uh, thank you for joining us. They had that episode with Daredevil and Thor. Yeah, oh, it was horrible. Yeah. Was, oh, just terrible. And Thor was like this Viking type guy. He was guy. a Viking <laughs> Thor. Yeah, the Norse god. Yep. So it wasn't, you know, really something that we took seriously, I mean, semi-seriously, the Hulk, but the Spider-Man, the costume was kind of neat, 
but the whole concept was just bad, and you know most of the episodes were poorly written. And so when that went off the air, I don't think it really broke anybody's heart. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, th- then you come into the what was it, the '90s with the original Flash TV show? Yeah, that only lasted a few episodes, that a handful of episodes too. Yeah, you know, I think two seasons also, or one season. I don't know, maybe two seasons, but. Again, it was just poor writing, you know, not good stories. And the special effects weren't there ever with any of these shows. So, you know, it, you didn't have a lot of believability to the character. You know, like in the 60s Batman show, they basically built a building side set on the floor and had them pretend to be walking up, you know, mm-hmm. by pulling themselves up on a string with strings so clearly attached to their capes, pulling it backwards so that they could flip the film and make it look like they were walking up a building. You know, it was it was quite humorous. But, you know, so, yeah, I'm thrilled now. It does bring back a lot of the excitement. When I see these movies um, and I have such high hopes in them, I get I get excited and or disappointed where maybe they don't measure up or maybe uh, the person who was directing it uh, veers too greatly from the from the source material. You know, then have oh, they never done that? Oh yes, Angley Hulk doesn't exist in my universe. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, unfortunately, it does in the real world, but uh, I don't think the Angley. Hulk is the only one that kind of deviated from the source material. There's been a few. Yeah, there's been a couple. But anyway, so yeah, I get real excited about it. And and I love the the Avengers movies. I love what Marvel has done with the build-up to all of them, with the individual character movies, you know, the Captain America, the Thor, and the Iron Man movies, and then sliding those straight into um, the two... uh, Avengers movies and tying them all together with an underlying storyline like that. I think it's fantastic. And I think that, you know, those of us who grew up with these characters, you know, and, and you know, dreamed about this day from the 60s. I mean, I know you and your brother are real excited about all of this ever since the first X-Men movie. Yeah, but we'd only been waiting for... 15 years for that yeah, moment. Yeah, exactly. I'd been waiting for like 35 years for that <laughs> moment. So it, it's very exciting. And I think, you know what, to be honest, I you know, you talk about on your show and on your podcast, you talk a lot about how being a nerd has become more mainstream and acceptable and so on and so forth. And, you know, you're, I, I still struggle with and don't know that I agree with your yours and CJ's and Josh, Josh's definition of what a nerd is. Well, I think but, it's changed. Well, that may be, but it's still it still carries a little bit of the same connotation in people's minds um, who, who may be not as, as familiar with it. But I do think that these movies and the movies being so huge and being so mainstream has made nerdism a lot more acceptable mm-hmm. and more people get into it. And, you know, whereas people before, <laughs> when I was growing up or a teenager or even, you know, a young married adult, if I told somebody I was into comic books, they kind of scoffed and laughed. Even when I was that. a kid. Yeah. They, same they, thing. Well, it, that, that didn't change a whole lot. Now it's like, it's not hip if you're not into them, mm-hmm. now, you know, because you, know, you can't be into the movies and not wonder where did all this stuff come from, you know? And, uh, you know, you get people who are all of a sudden like, wow, you know, this is this is kind of cool. Let me mm-hmm. check this out. But that wasn't really the case. And and I think that, you know, it, it has made it a lot more acceptable 
but I think that other things have helped make it acceptable too, like the Big Bang Theory, mm-hmm. and it's a show that initially I was a little skepti- skeptical about, and you totally got me into it, but um, you have to admit, the, the depictions of those four guys in that show are the traditional nerds mm-hmm. that, are, that, that have a negative connotation. They're not ladies' men, they're not jocks, they're not cool guys. They're the, you know, the brainiacs and the nerds and the, you know, the guys that nobody wants. The Brian Thorntons of the world. Well, (laughs) and the Fred Thorntons of the world at one time, too, you know, until you you get past all of that acceptance and peer group crap and you basically don't give a hang anymore. You know, so I think that it has become more acceptable, but I think the, well, the, the show itself proves that the perception of what a nerd is is still pretty much the same as it was when I was a kid. Yeah, but it's, it's not a negative connotation anymore. Well, I think in some circles it does. Well, it may be less of one, but it definitely still does to some people. I mean, to some people, I mean, I remember being a kid getting made fun of consistently for liking this stuff and uh, reading comic books and even drawing Spider-Man because I was you know, into drawing something else you imparted on me mm-hmm. um, was a big no-no. And if you weren't, trying to, you know, get on the dodgeball team or the football team, you weren't cool. But that's not the case anymore. Espe- I mean, and, and I think it, it's all due to, you know, well, 1999 when these movies started coming out. I don't you that because you're not in school anymore and you don't have any children who are in school, so you can't make I, that I have sources based on a, a perception. You have to, you know, have some first-hand knowledge. And I think that the whole reason that Big Bang works the Big Bang uh, Theory show works is because of the, they, they have cast these characters in the traditional nerd roles. And if everybody hadn't, who, who really gets into that show, hadn't at one time been classified that mm-hmm. way, you know, they, they wouldn't be into it. Like, I know people. I'm who, Leonard. Uh, yeah. I'm def- totally Leonard. You're definitely Leonard. Yeah. But I know people who like, I mean, I think that show is hysterical mm-hmm. because I look at you and I, I, I watch that show. I see <laughs> Leonard and I said, that's Brian. I've had some of those conversations. The funniest thing is now that I, I don't live with you guys anymore, I'll get calls from mom. I just watched this episode of Big Bang Theory. And, and I remember when you were a kid, you and your brother had the same discussion or did the same exact thing yep. about this show or this or this movie. Um so yeah, no, I, same I, arguments, it, same arguments, things they debate about, which are really, you know, <laughs> ethereal concepts that uh, come out of science fiction or comic books. They have those debates. And we remember you and your brother having the same kinds of debates. I had a debate in college once about the physics of the Death Star blowing up. And I, when that show came out, I was like, I, I've had this conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think that they, they still have a negative con- the reason I say I think they still have a negative connotation to some people is because I know people who will watch that show and say I don't get it so I'm not into it I don't mm-hmm. watch it at all and usually when you start to delve into their background a little bit in high school college they were the jock or they were the rocker or whatever they were or they were the cheerleader or they were the you know popular girl or however you want to put it they don't get it because they were never one. Mm-hmm. And so, and they are the people who bully and pick on and make fun of those kids as they're growing up. I, I got, like you, I got picked on and bullied mercilessly coming up through grammar school. And, you know, fortunately, I had a couple of friends who were, you know, uh, big guys and they were sort of the jocks and so forth. And they didn't tolerate that. You know, they kind of stuck up for me, which was nice to have. But, 
I took my share of beatings for being a nerd, you know, and so I know that 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 has carried forward for many, many years, and and it still carries forward today. I mean, when you look at, you know, a lot of what goes on and what's in the news and, um, you know, college campuses and stuff, it still does go on to some degree. The, The less popular, the more intellectual, the more nerdy are picked on and made fun of and classified that way. And it's not always just because they're passionate or into something. So I totally disagree with Josh on that because, like, I'm passionate about my music. I love, as, as you pointed out, in my latter years in high school, I became a musician. And I have been all about that ever since. I don't think that makes me a music nerd. Okay. I would classify you as a Beatles nerd. You know I, everything I there is anybody, to know about the Beatles. That's true. But I don't think anybody besides and, you and would if, look at it that But way. if somebody who doesn't know anything about the Beatles was like, oh, well, what about this? You immediately go into this diatribe like I do with Spider-Man. Oh, you don't know. Yes, and you just but, start talking but, about it. But let me and, and I agree. with. So I think I think it. there's an aspect of that in being a nerd. But no one would look at me going into my educating them about the Beatles and say to me, oh, so you're that kind of nerd. Well, you know, that's you're a Beatlemaniac. CJ that that resonated with me about certain topics. If I started talking to them about comic books or I started talking to them about Star Wars or Star Trek or Indiana Jones, or then they might do that, mm-hmm. you know? But, I, yeah, I'm into music. I'm into the Beatles. I'm into a lot of things. I'm, you know, I, I don't know if I can say this on your show, but being a pastor, I'm into the Bible and all things spiritual. And I don't think anybody would classify me as a Bible nerd, you know, or as a Beatles nerd or a music nerd or anything else. Like I said, if I if I started talking with somebody about those topics, I'm also into history. I'm into politics. I'm into all of those things. And I don't think anyone would look at me and say, oh, man, this guy's a nerd. I don't might look at me and say, wow, that guy really, you know, he's pretty knowledgeable. But they wouldn't say he's a nerd. Whereas if you get into, like I said, you know, role-playing games, Mm -hmm. comic books, uh, you know, uh, video games, sci-fi, they're going to look at you and say, oh, yeah, I knew somebody like you in high school. You're one of those kind of nerds. I I, I, I can agree with you to an extent. I think that... Um, there That's are, what I'm saying. I'm just right. trying to say it's not just a matter of passion. You can be passionate about something, but there are other criteria, I think, that personality-wise, you have to fit to be considered. In- right. Well, and there are, there are things, and here's my feeling on it. There are certain categories that immediately fall into that nerd bucket. Comic books, video games. Uh, Absolutely. Computers, techie stuff. You you hear that and you immediately think nerd. But to my, my personal view, if you're into history, you're into the Beatles, if I call you a history buff or a Beatle maniac, is, aren't I just calling you a history nerd or a Beatles nerd? It's just a different word. Um... No, because I think that there's there's other personality traits that go along with that nerd category that I've kind of outgrown, and I don't think that I have as much as maybe I did when I was in grammar school and got labeled that way and picked on uh, for being so. Okay. Like I said, I, I look at myself as the anti-nerd. I think I was a nerd at one point, big time heavy, because that was the peer group I could fit into. And back then, it wasn't acceptable at all, you know. And I wanted a peer group. I wanted friends. So I became the intellectual. And when it came to school projects and everything like that, I was always, you know, at the top of the list. But, you know, later on, I did get into some sports. And I did play some sports through, you know, my first, second year of high school. And then I got into music and sort of got away from the sports and became the, 
you know, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll guy. So, I mean, there, there was this metamorphosis that happened <laughs> all through my life that, you know, once I came out the other side of going through these phases of acceptance in different peer groups and finally started being comfortable and okay with who I was as a person, you know, the nerd part of me was part of me and it just sort of got melded in to all of these other things that I am. And so um, I don't think that, you know, being an expert on the Beatles necessarily makes me a Beatle nerd. It does make me a Beatle fan, a Beatle buff, but I wouldn't say a nerd. No, I don't, I don't think that, that that's a category that you can apply to music or to, you know, sports even. I mean, if I was a big football nut and I knew everything there was to know about the San Francisco 49ers, I don't think you would label me as a football nerd. That team? You picked that? I even, well, I don't, I, mean, I don't follow sports and I team. even know I mean, you shouldn't pick that team. I team, I'd say the New York Giants because that was my team when I was Oh, there, but... oh man, Josh is going to be pissed when he hears this. I'm sorry, Josh. <laughs> um, okay, I, I can, I can definitely see your point there. So uh, that's why I'm just saying, it, you know, you guys sort of in your very first podcast put it out there that, you know, anybody and everybody can be a nerd and anybody and everybody uh, is a nerd about something. There's something they're passionate about. There's something they're expert at. And I get that. But I, th- I definitely think, and maybe this is sort of the nerd snob in me, because, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm the hipster nerd, I'm the old nerd. You know, with, I was a nerd I'm before old, it was cool. Uh, that's right. You know, <laughs> I think we kind of got to make it a little more exclusive that not everybody can be a nerd. Okay. You, know, you got to kind of pay a special your club and come up through. Right. You can't be. You got to get shoved in a couple school. lockers before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can't be the hip kid in school that everybody loves and you're involved in all kinds of sports and you date all the best looking women and then you come out the other side and say, yeah, I'm a nerd. No, yeah. I'm sorry. Sorry, you're not. <laughs> all right, all right. That's that's funny. Um, so I, I, I mean, we're, we're actually coming up on, on time here, but I do want to touch on a couple of different things because I know growing up, Spider-Man was, was your big comic book guy. Um, has that changed? Who's your favorite character? Let's do comic books and then movies. Oh, um, and why? Marginally, Spider-Man is still my favorite character because I Wise so choice. I so identified with him growing up and was just I think the the neatest and coolest character and the fact that he was a kid he was a teenager, you know, with all the common problems that kids and teenagers have, really kind of I, I kind of gravitated always did gravitate toward him. I love the Steve Ditko uh, Spider-Man stuff. Not that I don't love the John Romita stuff, I really do, but I think that Ditko did some really inventive stuff and kind of made him more the teenage quirky character that he's supposed to be. Um, and they keep on bringing him back to that. That's yeah, how popular they keep that is. Him, well, and I think that's where the second set of Spider-Man movies did it a little bit better than the uh, first set because... I, I, I think I've said this to you before, too. The, the first set of Spider-Man movies with... Um, Tobey Maguire. To, yeah. He, he is more the John Romita Spider-Man. Yeah. And the second two movies with... What's this? Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield. He is very much more the Ditko Spider-Man. He's yeah. He's kind of lanky and awkward and... You know, Uncomfortable in his own skin. Yeah. Doesn't know how to so, talk to Gwen. So while I, I don't like some of the license they took with storylines in those two movies and, you know, background and so forth. I think the first four, three movies did that much better. I do like the character himself better in the second movie. Yeah. So, 
So that's my first favorite, always will be, uh, because it holds such a special place in my heart. But as I've gotten older and grown <laughs> more, um, I, I was, am, and is a big Captain America fan. Always loved Cap, always liked the integrity of the man, the, the, the character he has, the fact that doing something unethical just doesn't enter in. With doesn't him. compute. It doesn't. He, you like how they're handling him in the movies then? I do. I do. I love the fact, and I'm not giving away anything. That, that's okay. The if they haven't seen any of these movies by now, they shouldn't be listening. Well, that's true. <laughs> but, you know, they, they've also shown it in the trailer, and it's been online for a while. But I love, in the movie, you know, Thor was always another favorite of mine. I think he'd fallen probably about third. Um and the fact that no one who wasn't worthy can hold the hammer, you know, and that whole scene where, where they're trying to grab so the hammer, funny, where they're all trying to lift the hammer, you know, and um, Cap doesn't lift it, nudges but he it, does get it to just buzz, a bit, just a bit, <laughs> and you see Thor going, whoa, you know, and that's because you know if anyone would be considered worthy of the non-godlike characters, it would be Cap. You mm-hmm. know, the man has impeccable integrity. You can't, you cannot say anything negative about his character. So the thing I've always loved about that character is that he's the he's the one guy that when he starts speaking everybody shuts up. Like he can be in the middle of all these heroes, gods and Iron Man, people that are smarter than him, people that are more powerful than him, but he opens his mouth and everybody's got this reverent respect for him, which is always a great, and that's a great thing that they're doing in the movies yeah. too. And, and that's the, the point of Cap is that he's a leader and you, you know, you lead by example. He will never do something unless it's the right thing to do. And that's what I love about his character, and that's the kind of man I've tried to be and the way I've tried to raise you boys to be men of integrity and men of character so that your word is your bond and you won't do things that are run counter to you know your moral and ethical beliefs. And uh, I think Cap is just the epitome of all that, and that's why I love his character. He's like my very close second to Spider-Man, always will be. Plus, you know, I, I grew up with the Jack Kirby Captain America and I just loved Kirby's art all mm-hmm. growing up and, and loved what he used to do with that character so enjoyed that a lot um, on the DC side Batman all the way always has been, everybody always will everybody has says Batman now I mean I love this you know Superman kind of has that same integrity and all of that and from a spiritual standpoint he is a Christ figure but <laughs> I've got to say you know He's not as attainable. He's not as tangible. You can't as relate Cap. to Superman you can't like you can to Cap as well as you can to Cap. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and I think that's because Cap is based more in, in the real world. I mean, his story originates during World War Two. You know, yeah. something that is is so prevalent in our zeitgeist and so right there in everybody's mindset that it, everyone can identify with him. Superman really, you know. No one can identify with him as a human being. So, yeah. Batman, on the other hand, is very identifiable. Everybody wants to be Batman. You know, just an average guy who, with enough time and enough money and enough resources, can, can do make anything. Indif- yeah, undef- yeah. Bleh. absolutely indefeatable. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, I, I think on that we'll we'll kind of wrap it up. So I want to thank everybody who is listening to this uh, for listening. And uh, Dad, thanks for uh, sitting down with me and 
talking comic books a little bit and, and what it's like being being a nerd. nerd. Thank you very much, Dad. Well, thank you for having me, and I hope we can do it again. All right. Well, maybe one day we will. This has been a very special, special presentation. Uh, thank you for joining us. He will never do something unless it's the right thing to do. And that's what I love about his character, and that's the kind of man I've tried to be and the way I've tried to raise you boys to be men of integrity and men of character so that your word is your bond and you won't do things that are run counter to you know your moral and ethical beliefs. And uh, I think Cap is just the epitome of all that, and that's why I love his character. He's like my very close second to Spider-Man, always will be. Plus, you know, I, I grew up with the Jack Kirby Captain America and I just loved Kirby's art all mm -hmm. growing up and, and loved what he used to do with that character so enjoyed that a lot um, on the DC side Batman all the way always has uh, everybody been, always will everybody has says Batman now I mean I love this you know Superman kind of has that same integrity and all of that and from a spiritual standpoint he is a Christ figure but <laughs> I've got to say you know He's not as attainable. He's not as tangible. You can't relate to Superman you like relate you can to, to Cap. As well as you can to Cap, absolutely. Yeah. So, and I think that's because Cap is based more in, in the real world. I mean, his story originates during World War II. You know, yeah. something that is is so prevalent in our zeitgeist and so right there in everybody's mindset that it, everyone can identify with him. This is Superman, really, you know. No one can identify with him as a human being. So, yeah. Batman, on the other hand, is very identifiable. Everybody wants to be Batman. You know, just an average guy who, with enough time and enough money and enough resources, can, can do anything. Yeah, undefeated. Yeah. Absolutely indefeatable. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, I, I think on that, we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up. So I want to thank everybody who is listening to this uh, for listening. And, uh, Dad, thanks for uh, sitting down with me and talking comic books a little bit and, and what it's like being being a nerd. nerd. Thank you very much, Dad. Well, thank you for having me, and I hope we can do it again. All right. Well, maybe one day we will. This has been a very special, special presentation. Uh, thank you for joining us. I'm, I'm the hipster hardcore. nerd, I'm the old nerd. You know, I was a nerd I'm before old. it was cool. Uh, that's right. You know, <laughs> I think we kind of got to make it a little more exclusive that not everybody can be a nerd. Okay, you, know, you got to kind of pay it's a special your dues club and come up through. Right, you can't be. You got to get shoved in a couple school. lockers before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can't be the hip kid in school that everybody loves, and you're involved in all kinds of sports, and you date all the best looking women, and then you come out the other side and say, "Yeah, I'm a nerd." No, yeah, I'm sorry, you're not. <laughs> all right, all right. That's that's. That's funny. Um, so, I, I mean, we're, we're actually coming up on, on time here, but I do want to touch on a couple of different things because I know growing up, Spider-Man was, was your big comic book guy. Um, has that changed? Who's your favorite character? Let's do comic books and then movies. Oh. Um, and why? Marginally, Spider-Man is still my favorite character because I Wise choice. I so identified with him growing up and was just, I think, the, the neatest and coolest character. And the fact that he was a kid, he was a teenager, you know, with all the common problems that kids and teenagers have, really kind of, I, I kind of gravitated, always did gravitate toward him. I love the Steve Ditko uh, Spider-Man stuff. Not that I don't love the John Romita stuff, I really do, but I think that Ditko did some really inventive stuff and kind of made him more the teenage quirky character that he's supposed to be. Um, and they keep on bringing him back to that. 
That's how popular it is. Well, and I think that's where the second set of Spider-Man movies did it a little bit better than the uh, first set because I I, I think I've said this to you before, too. The the first set of Spider-Man movies with... um, Tobey Maguire. Yeah. He he is more the John Romita Spider-Man. Yeah. And the second two movies with... What's this? Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield. He is very much more the Ditko Spider-Man. He's yeah. kind of lanky and awkward and... You know, Uncomfortable his own skin, yeah. doesn't know how to so, talk to Gwen. So while I, I don't like some of the license they took with storylines in those two movies and, you know, background and so forth, I think the first four, three movies did that much better. I do like the character himself better in the second movie. Yeah. So. So that's my first favorite, always will be, uh, because it holds such a special place in my heart. But as I've gotten older and grown <laughs> more, um, I, I was, am, and is a big Captain America fan. Always loved Cap, always liked the integrity of the man, the, the, the character he has, the fact that doing something unethical just doesn't enter in. It doesn't compute. It doesn't. Do you like how they're handling him in the movies then? I do. I do. I love the fact, and I'm not giving away anything. That's okay. If they haven't seen any of these movies by now, they shouldn't be listening. Well, that's true. But, you know, they've also shown it in the trailer, and it's been online for a while. But I love, in the movie, you know, Thor was always another favorite of mine. I think he'd fallen probably about third. Um... And the fact that no one who wasn't worthy can hold the hammer, you know, and that whole scene where... Where they're trying to grab so the hammer. funny, where they're all trying to lift the hammer, you know, and um, Cap doesn't lift it, Nudges but he it does get it to Just buzz, a bit. Just a bit. <laughs> and you see Thor going, whoa, you know. And that's because, you know, if anyone would be considered worthy of the non-godlike characters, it would be Cap. You mm-hmm. know, the man has impeccable integrity. You can't... You cannot say anything negative about his character. So the thing I've always loved about that character is that he's the he's the one guy that when he starts speaking everybody shuts up. Like he can be in the middle of all these heroes, gods and Iron Man, people that are smarter than him, people that are more powerful than him, but he opens his mouth and everybody's got this reverent respect for him, which is always a great, and that's a great thing that they're doing in the movies too. And and that's the the point of Cap is that he's a leader and you, you know, you lead by example. He will never do something unless it's the right thing to do. And that's what I love about his character. And that's the kind of man I've tried to be and the way I've tried to raise you boys to be men of integrity and men of character so that your word is your bond and you won't do things that are run counter to, you know, your moral and ethical beliefs. And uh, I think Cap is just the epitome of all that. And that's why I love his character. He's like my very close second to Spider-Man. Always will be. Plus, you know, I I grew up with the Jack Kirby Captain America and I just loved Kirby's art all mm-hmm. growing up and, and loved what he used to do with that character so enjoyed that a lot um, on the DC side Batman all the way always has been, everybody always will everybody has says Batman now I mean I love this you know Superman kind of has that same integrity and all of that and from a spiritual standpoint he is a Christ figure but <laughs> I've got to say you know He's not as attainable. He's not as tangible. You can't relate to Superman like you can to Cap as well as you can to Cap. Absolutely. Yeah. So, 
And I think that's because Cap is based more in, in the real world. I mean, his story originates during World War II, you know, yeah. something that is, is so prevalent in our zeitgeist. And so right there in everybody's mindset that it, everyone can identify with him. Superman really, you know, no one can identify with him as a human being. So yeah. Batman, on the other hand, is very identifiable. Everybody wants to be Batman. You know, just an average guy who, with enough time and enough money and enough resources, can, can do anything. Indif- yeah, undef- yeah. Bleh. absolutely indefeatable. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, I, I think on that, we'll, we'll kind of wrap it up. So I want to thank everybody who is listening to this uh, for listening. And, uh, Dad, thanks for uh, sitting down with me and talking comic books a little bit and, and what it's like being being a nerd. nerd. Thank you very much, Dad. Well, thank you for having me, and I hope we can do it again. All right. Well, maybe one day we will. This has been a very special, special presentation. Uh, thank you for joining us.